Hey, what's going on, good people? Welcome back to the Black Codes. Here with your co-host, Donald Robinson, and I am joined with the historian, Savannah Bryan. Hi. I hope you're feeling well. We're feeling pretty groovy. It's been a good day so far. How are you feeling today? I am feeling fine. Um, but, you know, so I used to be a night owl, and by nature, I still am, but my schedule has had to change just because like I got a job and I have like a certain time that I have to be there a certain time that I get to leave it's just I have a lot more structure in my life and so I am just not much of a night out anymore I like make fun of my mom my mom goes to bed at like nine <laughs> honestly like before 10 she's asleep and if I could, like, choose, I honestly would be, like, asleep before midnight, 11.30 sometimes. Really? That early? I'm dead ass. Yeah. That's about when I go to bed, actually. I have to wake up really early as well. And I typically should be in bed between, like, 10 and 11. I have a really hard time going to bed before 11. Like, I usually go to bed between 11 and 12. Especially on like longer days. Oh my god, I'll be so restless at night. Mm -hmm. Like I go, it's, I fall asleep really easy. But like going to bed is a battle. Yeah. Like I, I like waking up early. I like doing stuff early in the morning. I don't like leaving my house early in the morning. I've discovered that. I like to be up doing stuff from home. Right. At five, six, seven in the morning. Mm -hmm. But it's like the fact that I have to go to bed early enough to get a full night of sleep to wake up that early. That's hard. Yeah, and I think for me, I know that I have to get up early, so I'm going to sleep. <laughs> I'm getting my full night. And in the last, like, maybe five years, five or six years, I feel like I pee in the middle of the night, like, every night. Before, I would do that a few times a week, maybe, but now it's, like, every single night and always between the hour of, like, 2 and 3.30, is when I have, like, a get up, my nightly pee. If I don't, I will literally just stay. I can't go back to sleep. Yo, that happens to me. Like, I'll wake up. Mine's usually between, like, 3 and 4. Like, really, like, 3.30 to 4.30. And I'll get up. And, like, I'll just realize my... I'll be, like, dreaming. I'll just, like, faintly wake up and realize, like, I'm kind of conscious right now. And I'm, like... I just, like, lay there, roll over. I'm, like, all right, I'm going back to sleep. And I'm, like, why can't I go back to sleep? And, like, it's not, like, a strong pee urge. Mm -hmm. And then I'll be, like, wait... Oh shit! And I need to go to, to the bathroom. Get out of the bed, and you're comfortable, and it's like so uh, you, you walk to the bathroom with your eyes like mostly closed to yeah. try to like feel like you're still asleep. You don't really don't want to open them. Mm -mm. But then by the time you get back to bed, sometimes I'm like, damn, I'm up now. <laughs> like that little bit of walk from the bed to the toilet, I'm awake now. Yeah, that only happens to me on like Sunday morning when I'm sleeping in. And it's it definitely depends. Like, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't I've, happen every night. At 3, 4 in the morning, oh, I'm going right back to sleep. Mm -hmm. So here tonight, I am drinking an imperial stout. Why, why, why is a stout imperial? I have no idea. Like, so my little bit of knowledge about beer has never extended to like stouts and porters, like darker beer. I don't like them. While beer itself is growing on me, the like coffee flavor, mm -hmm. that... It, they're really, really strong and not thick, but there's just like this kind of texture density yeah, about dense. them. Yeah, that I just, I don't really fuck with that much. And the coffee flavor is just off-putting for me. Yeah, coffee's, I mean, alcohol, beer is one of those things that have grown on me. But coffee's also one of those things that has grown on me. Like on a flavor tip, I don't drink coffee for any energy mm -hmm. it doesn't do anything for me i'm already on like 10 when i wake up <laughs> but like the taste of coffee i used to hate when i was in high school and even middle school when i first tried it but it's grown on me like i can actually drink coffee but it has to be black and it has to be like something good huh yeah i don't drink coffee at all but i love the smell of it i don't mm. really love oh, the, the smell, smell of, of like porters and stouts but the smell of like fresh or like of coffee beans or like coffee grounds, oh my god, it smells so good. But the taste itself is a no for me. 
I've actually never reflected on how much I like the smell of coffee. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, I'm like, oh shit, I really do like the smell of coffee. Yeah, when I was in Puerto Rico, I worked at this uh, cigar company, and they also also sold coffee beans and coffee grounds that they that were like local and grown in Puerto Rico. They were in the office, so like by the register, all you could really smell was the coffee that was right behind me. So I like really got to, I got it up close and intimate relationship with like the aroma of coffee. Interesting. I wonder if like these stouts have grown on me as coffee has grown on me. Um, I've definitely veered towards stouts and lagers since I've spent the last seven years trying to understand beer at all. And I've become, well, maybe not to you. I think I've become <laughs> bougie in my beers because I don't drink Budweiser or Miller Lite. Sam Adams. I, <laughs> Sam Adams is all right, man. It's not like the Budweiser and the Bud Lights. I hate that. I'm at, word. My uncle, I remember it was 2014. I was moving to Texas, and I stopped in Tennessee to uh, go visit him. And he, we went to go visit some friend of his or some other cousin of ours. And he grabbed, you know, 24-pack of Budweiser's. And it was like, I drank it and it was terrible. It was like piss water. I see awful. why people say that. It was awful. I'll never do it again. So now I'm like bougie. Well, I try to be. This Black is Beautiful is bringing me that way. Um, so it is, we got it from uh, Off the Rocks. And it's this, it literally is called Black is Beautiful. And... I don't have a whole lot of details other than we talked about the coffee flavor. It's heavier. Monument City Brewing Company. So it's actually brewed in Baltimore. Canned in Baltimore. And so, speaking of this beer being black and beautiful, we were talking about this just before. And I really think this could be an episode topic one day. About why there are these big movements of black positivity. Black girls rocks. Black is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Black power, you know, black, not so much black lives matter is more of a response, but even that still fits that mold of, you know, talking about black women's hair and these different things that are very pro-black, our hair is beautiful, things like that. And thinking about how as some like 17 year old white kid coming of age who doesn't know, who doesn't have a great grasp of history, or even if they've learned some of it, they haven't grasped the magnitude of it, would look at this and like, why is this a thing and why don't we have it? Mm-hmm. Remember, like, in college, you know, why isn't there a white student union? Like, stuff like that. Oh, my God. They love to say that shit. <laughs> they love to say it. Seriously. And it's like, if they understood just how repressive all the things that we talk about being good about us or organizing internally and how much that was pressed to not happen, mm-hmm. I wonder if that would, like, help the rest of the Americans understand why we have them in the first place. <sighs> the sigh. You know when you get a sigh, that's a sigh. Uh, you, I don't think you got it. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, uh, I think because there's somewhere, oh, maybe that was something else we were talking about. The opening of whatever Drake's was response to like the original uh, Pusha T diss, he like opens the song with his hard ass sigh and then just kind of like goes off and does his thing and you know, Drake's way. Um, but yeah, honestly, <laughs> you segued this much better, like when you brought that up, like much better than I thought you were going to. Well, thank you. So, <laughs> kinda... you know, Donald, I'm very sparing with my compliments, so you just have to take them as you can get them. You know, I appreciate it because they certainly don't come all the time. <laughs> so, looking at our topic today, we want to talk about the hypersexualization of black women and the history of how we are today. You know, there's all this controversy over this WAP song that just came out just within the last couple weeks. Mm -hmm. And with all of the multitude of controversy about black women and their bodies and how over-sexualized they are, it's pushed on to them. And then, you know, their own response to that and, you know, kind of reflecting on some of that and looking at what's the legacy of this? Like, why 
are black women viewed this way? Why do they portray this in looking yeah. at some of the history of this? Because this isn't an accident. No, it's not an accident at all. And, you know, to start, women have been treated like secondhand citizens um, across racial lines, ethnic, religious lines, probably since humans started like actually gathering in communities, I'm willing to bet. And so you see all types of different ways that the, the female body, like women, are treated um, as like, you know, as being the quote unquote subservient part of the race and then when you throw in other aspects of the way that communities or nations are kind of built and how they operate so if women already have not really much power not so much say you now in the situation in the case um, of the U.S. and their black population you now have a group of black women that population like I said black and woman in the US, all of the comments and and I know people have been using um, Malcolm X quote about like the most unprotected person, human on the planet is the black woman. He wasn't just saying that for shits and gigs and to like get the black woman on his side. Like that is a legitimate thing. There are no laws or rules in place to really protect black women that there never really have been. And so when you think about WAP, you have, I think for me, you can feel however you want to feel, I suppose. But it's like, there are all these opinions and people are trying to tell Cardi B and, and Meg the Stallion and the people that are saying that they're, they're kind of taking over their sexual agency and their sexual autonomy. This is what they want to talk about. This is their bag. And people combating them saying, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. This is nasty. I, that fucking Ben Shapiro. Did you see that video? I haven't. It's this guy who, I don't know what he does. He has a YouTube channel. I don't know if he's just like popular culture or what. But he <laughs> explains WAP and like says some of the lyrics and like clips of the, of the video are playing in the corner of his video as he's reading through the lyrics. It's the most dry version of a rap song, like the way that he tries to explain it. And there are all these like memes about him because he's talking about like his wife is a doctor and he like talked to her about this and they both kind of concluded that they must have some like Meg the Stallion and Cardi B must have something wrong with their vaginas because they shouldn't be wet like that and so all, all these memes came out about like yo Ben Shapiro just told all of us he doesn't please his wife and like what black twitter does just kind of like gone in yo, and gone hard. yeah yo you have to watch the video and then you just have to watch the comments well, or listen to the comments it's hilarious but you have these varying degrees of like opinions and honestly it made me think about who actually does have autonomy over our bodies we can say one thing and everyone else wants to say, wants to police us, wants to mm -hmm. police our bodies and what we can do, how we can talk about them, how we can express ourselves, especially like our sexuality. So who actually is able to, like who owns that? Who owns our bodies and our voices? Yeah, that's quite a question. And, you know, for a certain period of history here, there was an actual answer to that. Mm -hmm. And now... There's these, you know, there's so many different forces at bay because, yes, you know, women are taking control of their own narratives and, and creating those narratives themselves, for themselves, as individuals, as collectives, of people with different lines of thought together. And yet, then when you look at, like, artists, like music artists or video artists, there's still this level of profiteering that has yeah. to go on. And... Well, sex sells. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's a question of 
are you promoting your sexuality in your art because that truly is your art or are you promoting it to make money mm-hmm. and not that there's anything wrong with promoting it to make money but this idea of who is guiding it and leading it it can bring up the question of well the people who actually are paying this out right are those the ones potentially in control whether that's the general population who consumes it or when we talk about music the record execs who put the machine behind it to make it reach the world internationally that song's international now oh yeah and so, like, does does that play a role? And mm-hmm. we talk about ownership of it. Yeah. I think that multiple uh, opinions and facts, like, can exist at once. Yeah, like, they're not mutually exclusive from yeah, each other. Yeah, exactly. I think that it could be a little bit of everything. But um, if you have people coming out and saying, this is actually what I want to do, like, this is what I want to rap about. This is what I want to talk about. I, especially as someone that came from like a sex worker background, being like upfront and kind of proud of that and not running away from it, you should be able to do that. Everyone that doesn't like the song, you can just not listen to it. <laughs> if it comes on on the radio, you can turn the station. Most people are listening to music on their phones. It does not have to be in any of your playlists. You can literally press skip. I mean, you have options to not have to deal with it if it's not your bag. Like you can literally go months without hearing, years, maybe even a lifetime without hearing a song unless you get caught up in a video where it comes on. Yeah, we're really privileged today in the way that we're able to consume music. Like 20 years ago, I remember when I was like really, really young, still like taping things that were mm-hmm. on the radio. I remember doing that. We don't, we're not living like that anymore. Yeah, wait. I had to wait all afternoon on a Saturday to be able to record a song to put on my little cassette thing. Exactly. Exactly. So that idea of like, who actually owns women's bodies, we know that we do. Like, as a black woman, I own my body. Other black women, you own your body, just like you, Donald, you own your body. Like, everyone should have bodily autonomy. I'm a firm... I believed in autonomy before I even knew what that word was. (laughs) (laughs) I believed in it, and I I felt very strongly towards it. And so, I think that because this is a history podcast and we like to just take things back and connect it. I want to give you a few mm, stories about a few black women. Okay. That lived as black, (laughs) you know, lived with black skin Mm. and just what that looked like. One of these women are not um, American, but I don't think that that matters. So, the first, obviously, the first situation in thinking about black women and this kind of hypersexualization, the stereotype that is placed upon them, happens quite early when uh, Western Europeans, like the English, are going to West Africa and they're seeing women's bodies. We kind of touched on it in the wet nurse video and they're like specifically talking about they can breastfeed and these their childbearing hips, but there is still sexualization happening within that, you know? So mm-hmm. even on the outset, their bodies are looked at in terms of like in a sexual lens, uh, and uh, like a monetary lens because you're thinking I can reproduce this woman, like I can have her reproduce and based on her body, probably gonna give me a strong baby. Mm -hmm. That's gonna give me another strong set of hands on my plantation. Yeah, that's that's totally a thing. And when you look at just making comments about how you can create stock in a sense Mm -hmm. and breed i mean you have to have sex to do all that and so now you're looking at them their own culture how they go about you don't understand it you don't understand how people who live in 85 degree humid heat don't have a whole lot of clothes on like you do or 
how there's so much dancing that goes on or these various different aspects that they didn't understand, but because they came from this sense of we live in this great civilized society, mm-hmm. you creatures and, or whatever. And when you, as soon as you start dehumanizing, you look at, you know, rabbits or different animals who just have sex at random and you just immediately start portraying those things onto those people because you come from this overly closed society because, well, it's like under 40 degrees for six months of the year. Yeah. Anywhere in Western Europe. Yeah. I am going to say, you know, my dad is English, like mm-hmm. born and raised in London. I've spent a decent amount of time in London throughout my years and... The lack of sun that them niggas get, I know, plays a a role in their attitude. Like, (laughs) I have never met, and granted, this is a stereotype, right, about English people, but most people feel this way. It's it's quite common. It may be changing a little bit now because of global warming, but just this, like, general nature of being without the sun for so long does actually play a role on (laughs) your attitude and your mood and your energy and all of that so i have this almost theory you have a very like the face you're giving me i don't know what you're about to say say it's about a pocket i know (laughs) i know (laughs) there's this podcast i listen to uh eric thomas he's a motivational speaker secrets to success and they have this thing called the insurance bucket Mm -hmm. when they're about to step out of line and say some some hard line shit that they might need insurance bucket for and i'm having a moment like that so i have this theory and i talked to a couple friends about this that there is this aspect of living in the North that creates cruelty and that creates this aggression. When you think about the societies that have colonized parts of the world, led world wars, led some of the biggest slaughterings in human history, you go across, what do you see? The English, the German, the Dutch, the Portuguese, the Spanish, the you know, different parts of Italy, you start going across the, you know, parts of the Middle East, Persians, Russians, the Mongolians, all of the wars in China, the Japanese during World War Two. Even prior to that, Japan And was even prior to that, they've been kind of colonizing. And all of this history of violence. When you think about the history that you learned in school, how much of that was war history? And you know the irony in all of that? The only like few times uh, Native American, especially like Latin and South American Native American tribes are talked about is from what people tend to know about like Mayans and Incans. Um, They had like blood, like they had human sacrifice. Yet you, (laughs) that's something that we like kind of learned that they were like primitive, they were sacrificing people, blood, da 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 da, this, this, and that. Yes. And I'm not justifying human sacrifice. And we've seen Apocalypto, sure. (laughs) But murder at the like rate, like the magnitude of murder that was happening like regarding the the situations you're talking about with European like mm-hmm. the cold I don't know what that that thing is the cold this cold the latitude, I don't know what it's called I don't know what those latitude you know, like the yeah northern latitude of, yeah whatever and when you think about these few instances the Japanese of World War II very specifically the Mongolians you think about Germany between what they did in Namibia what they did you know during the Holocaust you think about France and Britain at war for centuries constantly with each other and you don't hear about these things in historical record from the southern part of the world or the middle part of the world and i feel like i've I've, I've been playing on this for months years that there's something about being cold that brings out a certain level of aggression we already talked about in the u.s southern hospitality why because us people in the north we'd be gritting on people Mm -hmm. we're not as nice up here right and something about like not having that sun can breed this there's also on the other hand this industrialness that I just feel like has in the North. You think about c- countries that have really industrialized their countries and done these, you know, really interesting changes in history, you know, across Britain, China, Japan, you know, different parts of uh, Western Europe and Middle East, where, like, 
that those you know the southern part of the world there's this comfort and laid backness that they because they don't want to colonize they like where they're at it's temperament you got a lot of mosquitoes in africa but like the temperature is not cold there's something when you think about the caribbean like it's nice you think about uh, southeast asia it's nice temperament and you don't see empires emerge from these places so you do but not to the scale of the mongols or to the romans things like that yeah i so one i don't think what you said was that much of a hot take um I think there are still probably arguments to be made against it probably. because wars have still happened. So it's not like just because they're cold. It's one of those things. I forget what that uh, math equation is. is. It's a correlation, maybe not causation. Li- just because um, you live in a sunny country doesn't mean you won't wage war or you won't be aggressive or you won't be violent. Oh, there, that that is like something specific. I just can't remember the name. Yeah, I don't know the name of that, but it's more like the scale of it. And so, um, you know, when you think about so that that was my little that was my <laughs> little thing to to what you had mentioned. But when these colonizers they go to these countries and they objectify, they look at their mm-hmm. their sense of dominion and their right to go overtake because they had a religious component to all this. And so now they have this religious part, uh, their supposed chasteness that they should have. And they look at, you know, these African people and they immediately sexualize this all. And so they carry that over here. You think about the maids, wet nurses, um, you know, the mulattoes that eventually come out out of non-love unions. Mm -hmm. And this constant sexualizing of these black women's bodies and looking at them already because of the institution of slavery as profit, and then, on the other hand, the sexual nature of it all. Yeah, I, and I think that's, like, twofold. One, coming from a, a kind of, like, sexually repressive place, when you see other people doing things that you would like to do, it, like, makes you hate, you know? <laughs> and then try to vilify what they're doing, not because you even actually believe that, because... But they're jealous. They're like jealous because people are living in their truth. They're living how they want. And they can't because of um, what is that word? They're like civil, uh, correct, like being polite and just like all of that shit that the English especially try oh, to do. Oh, they have on. a very big thing on politeness. Yeah. Um, and being modest, you know? So, yeah, it. I think it opens a door to very easily sexualize people, especially if the people that you're seeing are um, clothed very little and have bodies that you're not used to being around. <laughs> uh, I think that could throw you off. Oh, you know, yeah. you're going to get lost. You might have a lot of emotions happening and you have to kind of rein that shit in. You don't want anyone thinking anything crazy. But yeah, that like kind of attitude travels to the U.S. And I found this really interesting story about a woman named Celia. Celia was enslaved. She was purchased by a man named Robert Newsom. Newsom? Yes in 1850 when she was 14 years old so his wife had just passed away he had i believe like eight acres of land and had like five male slaves um his wife passes away and so he goes and he purchases Celia when she is 14 and brings him back to his plantation uh obviously he starts raping her immediately and within like the next five years, she ends up having two of his children. So she gets pregnant a third time. During this time, she, you know, had started to a relationship with one of the male slaves. They have a little thing going on. She gets pregnant again, and she's not really sure who the dad is. And she's also, George, Um, I guess gives her an ultimatum. He's like, you got to stop that shit with homeboy in the house or we just can't continue this. And I I unfortunately wasn't able to find any more information on like George's side because it sounds kind of fucked up. Like obviously she wasn't really choosing to do that. So why would you put her in that kind of situation? Mm. 
but I'm also maybe being too giving to like men because y'all just be on some shit sometimes um so Celia goes to Newsom's daughters and like plead to them like yo please tell your dad to leave me the fuck alone I'm pregnant I'm sick I can't do this shit no more they don't she goes to Newsom himself like yo please I'm sick please stop in whatever the actual language was I'm paraphrasing of course and he's like fuck out of here I'll be there tonight (laughs) and so he shows up and Celia is like oh my god I've had enough and she hits him twice in the head he dies and he's not seen and so these um, they start a watch party Mm. and they go out looking for him they end up finding some bones along the bank and uh, a witness says the last person or the last time they seen him he was walking down this path and the path was so Celia had her own little cabin about I found from 50 to 150 feet like multiple articles giving like a different number for how far away the cabin is either way it was pretty close Mm -hmm. it was literally so when he wanted to leave his house and go see celia and terrorize her she was in walking distance Mm -hmm. to him so they go and they talk to celia and she confesses after you know a bit of um virginian investigation (laughs) (laughs) A southern investigation. investigation. You need to <laughs> trademark that. Uh, so one that was not fair or remote, remotely like trying to hear her side and maybe figure out, like ask, that. ask first, accuse later, you know. <laughs> so she confesses and basically says she hit him twice. She never intended to kill him, but she hit him twice. She hit him once. He fell. Then he started to grab for her leg. So she hit him again. Um, takes his body and puts it in her fireplace and then crushes down all of the bones and basically gives um, her, the Robert Newsom's grandson, Celia gives his ashes to the grandson and just says like, yo, go take this to the bank for me. I'll give you 12, 12 walnuts. And I love that it only took 12 walnuts to get, like, a kid to do a task for you. <laughs> I just thought that was pretty great. I'm sorry, asking my nephew, like, bro, can you come, like, you need to take the trash out. Like, I got, like, five reasons for you. Like, yo, for real, bro, I need you to clean this up at the gym. Like, here's 20 Kit Kats. Yeah, it's going to be a no, a hard no. <laughs> um... But yeah, so they they end up arresting her and they try her. And her defense team does try to say like it was self-defense. She had been being raped probably at 14 years old as soon as he purchased her. It was in self-defense. And at the time, they're actually in Missouri. And Missouri was a slave state at the time. They had just made it illegal to rape, basically. So you couldn't like forcibly have sex with a woman. That was a law. And so they tried to use that. So this ends up being a monumental case because they find her guilty. And even when they're trying to uh, get a stay and like plead her case out, they kind of just go through with their um, with their conviction and they hang her and she dies and so it really sets a precedent for black women you can't refuse consent you also can't give consent you can't actually sue him either because you're a slave you're not a citizen x y and z however when they're taken to court they are held um as reasonable and understand understanding intent and all of this and all of this and so they're able to be tried to the fullest extent you know of the law which again make it make sense please and still seven generations away a woman got killed in her house Mm -hmm. while she was sleeping and the city of louisville 
is trying her hardest to like make her to the fucking her. suspect. Yeah, to vilify her. <laughs> you know, you heard about them offering a plea deal to her uh-huh. ex, who yeah. was the actual drug dealer, to say that he was getting drugs mailed there, and he, you know, thank God he turned that down. Yeah. But they really said, "Yo, take this plea deal. Say that you really get work sent there, so they could stop all this." Uh-huh. This still happens, and that woman was asleep. Exactly. So, yeah, it's it it really sets a precedent for and let's, you know, black women know because obviously this is a scandal like slave kills master like they were running with this, you know, Mm -hmm. like this is something that got a lot of publicity and it lets black women know that there's no protection for you Mm -hmm. at all. You just have to deal with it and keep your mouth shut and I don't keep working, keep living your life. We don't want to hear it. We don't care. He owns you. So it's basically within his right to do what he wants anyway. Yeah. It's how it's treated. It's crazy just how much this case just makes you think about Breonna Taylor this year and like how the same thing just still happens to black women. Yeah. I mean, yes. Just in terms of like... The lack of... Protection and care. Protection, compassion. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, So this this story mainly takes place in Europe, but I think it's still really important to know. Um, Someone that I found out about, I believe when I was in college, they called her the hot and taut Venus. Her name was, I guess her, uh, what's that name? Your anglo sac your her Christian anglo name, name, her Christian name is Sarah Bartman. Um, so she leaves South Africa at like the age of 10 to be a maid to like work with this doctor. And they, they're like, a f- there's someone that's supposed to be like her caretaker essentially. And they basically kind of talk her in to being a part of these freak shows. So if you don't know about Sarah Bartman, she is built she is built in a way that these white men have never seen. They make she makes Meg the Stallion look pretty petite. And Meg the Stallion is like a pony compared to Sarah Bartman. And these this white man is like, yo, you can make me a dollar. Several. So this is what we're gonna do. And they tour all around Europe. Like her body tours. Like people have never seen her body. Uh, they've never seen a body like this so you know it gets toured all around europe and even in like some small private gatherings for extra money people could touch her it was mainly just like looking at her and oh my god look at that ass never seen something like that before in my life um yeah so she ends up dying in 1816 she's only 26 when she passes away and they make like a molding of her vagina and that along with her skeleton along with her brain is put on display in different museums in Paris and it's actually the her body is not taken off of display until 1974 her remains were not sent back to South Africa until 2002 she died in 1816, and they continued to profit off of her body for almost nearly 200 years. Mm-hmm. And to and and so to not lose that, you know, there's a process to being able to take some woman's reserves and preserve them for almost 200 years for show to go and get a cast of her genitals and. And, you know, preserve her skeleton to be shown. Think about all the things that happened to her between shows, during shows, the measurements they took, the theories that they had, all of the poking and prodding that had to, that they wanted to go on as teenage child in trying to understand that would even lead someone to consider doing something like that. Yeah, uh, I saw this crazy... Um like ad like a cartoon ad when oh, she the ads were out of pocket there was one specifically that showed her and like a english i think it was an english man that i get i guess apparently also had like a really big ass 
he was like in the process of doing some type of work and she was like coming to do a show and so there are these like cartoons that are like who has the bigger ass and their asses like in the cartoon are like against each other kind of against each other and someone is like measuring them it's crazy wow yeah oh and (laughs) i brought that up because they were making jokes that like oh is he trying to bring her into his gang or is this a part of his rollout because they both have these like crazy asses on them it's like what (laughs) i always thought freak shows and circuses were really strange things they definitely are uh they are when you think about because you're not just like looking at these like medical abnormalities (laughs) yo sometimes when my brain is moving too fast like the word is there but my like mouth is just moving way too slow (laughs) um yeah you're not like going to just look in awe like oh my god like look what can happen based off of like dna or just genetics or just like these things that happen you're going to look and make fun of you're Mm -hmm. going to like poke and other and that is just nasty yeah, it's like the only thing that's really okay about them is the people who can jump from circle to circle, ring to ring. Like, uh-huh. That stuff's dope. That yeah. takes talent and athleticism and skill. But yeah, just looking at people and just how different they can look is just, I think that's vile in the first place. It is. Um, Unless and- they themselves are trying to show it off, which usually they're not. They're being exploited. For sure. Being paid pennies and, to do that. And I think especially when you think about this time and some of the circuses even like in America where you have these freak shows, I'm sure they weren't just jumping for joy. They would have preferred to do something else. But you also, you have to like play the cards you're dealt. And it's like, yeah, this is shitty, but what else am I about to do? Yeah. <laughs> what other job am I about to get? And with the Sarah Bartman thing, which I found really interesting. I found several articles, no real in-depth research, but just several articles that mention this this theory that Sarah Bartman's body is actually the inspiration behind Victorian-style dresses. So if you look at dresses in like the the like the mid to late 1800s, the shape of it kind of changes. In the front, like on the front end, it's kind of very narrow, but the back they have these huge butts. And so there's not enough, I guess, evidence to say for sure, but these dresses kind of start, like the fashion kind of starts popping up and around, like as she is like doing her tours and things like that. And it's like the the littlest things can create these trends. Mm -hmm. Like these things are not overly profound sometimes. It could have been some aristocrat who is poking fun or might have said, oh, I should, what if she was, what would she have to wear? Oh, something like this. Maybe I'm aware of that. Or maybe it was someone who was actually kind of curved. was like, oh, I'm a, I don't know, be inspired by that. And it just took a couple people mm-hmm. to start wearing that in the aristocracy. And, you know, boom, it just spread like wildfire. Hell yeah. And it just became a fashion staple. That is how it happens. Like, it's you know? not like people sat down and drafted this up. Somebody had a bright idea, started doing it, and then boom. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the last kind of example I want to use, I wanted to bring something that was kind of more modern. I remembered this story because it was huge news when it happened. I don't know if you actually remember. Um, so there's a woman, Demetria Obelor, I believe that's how you pronounce her last name. Looks like it. Uh, her father, I think is Nigerian and her mother is just like a mixed white woman. (laughs) Yes. Mixed European white woman yes um so in 2017 she is like a traffic reporter in dallas and people are coming for her for her outfits a woman like specifically writes into their facebook and says like y'all have this 16 18 year old girl wearing a size dress uh six like a a size six she looks ridiculous and i'm not gonna watch this channel anymore and it's like First of all, lady, I know black don't crack, 
but she's 26. <laughs> and that is a, a big difference. I don't think they're going to have a 16, 18-year-old doing the news every single day dressed like that. Dressed, I shouldn't say dressed like that. I don't know that a news channel would be able to justify having a 16 or 18-year-old woman dressed in a way that you think is so disparaging, you know? Not as a minor, if you were saying that. She is not a minor one. Why even threw in she's a size six? You were trying to say her dress is too small and it's like too tight on her body, but not everyone is shaped like a broomstick. <laughs> Sometimes you put a dress on that is actually your size and now you can, maybe it accentuates the ass and the titties a little bit more, but yeah. she's wearing the same shit. Her other white new white women, newcasters from across the country, she's wearing the same dress, like the same styles of dress. They just fit her a little different because her body's a little different. Yo, listen, two things. First of all, Demetria Overlord. If you are listening to this podcast, send us an email, and I'm gonna I'll email you back my phone number. First of all, oh we're the same God. age. Second of all, I, you know, we talked about this before, and this is you know one of the maybe one of the, I don't know if it's an issue, but it's just one of those things about you know men attracted to women. Mm-hmm. Attractive women look good no literally no matter what they are in what they look like how they're dressed nothing it doesn't matter there's nothing you can do for certain people to make them look unappealing and i think that's when you get stories like this some of the issues that come from you know people who just claim that modesty is the thing that there's no level of modesty for certain people that's going to satisfy them oh no their mere existence is uh, devilment of their sense of modesty. Yeah, it's like I'm not modest because you are uncomfortable with the way that my body is shaped, and it is, and you have to look at it. And that mm-hmm. could be maybe a sore subject for you because you don't really fuck with your body. You wish you looked like, like we said earlier, yo. When hate is strong, when jealousy is strong. Niggas will get all types of shit off. They'll try to say anything <laughs> just to, to pick justify that little ego up. for sure. Just to pick it up off the floor. <laughs> so, you know, that whole issue with the, that the newscaster, there's been other issues with you know, school teachers mm-hmm. who are, you know, really attractive women. Um, you know, news, like broadcasters for sports or even everything that happened with Serena Williams. Oh, yeah. Like, it, from she's just too curvy and, oh, my God, look at her, to even some of the more, like, aggressively foul-bashing ones, saying, like, you're so muscular, you look like a man. And this sense of just harping about these women's body just because they have a lot more curve, a lot more muscular musculature and things like that because a lot of the other participants kind of like broomsticks. <laughs> Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, the body that you have, however you choose to, like, live in your skin, how can I put this? Because, like I said earlier, like, autonomy is my shit. There's nothing wrong with your There's nothing wrong with living in your skin the way that you want to and do whatever you want to do with it, as long as you're not hurting other people. Ideally, you're not hurting yourself either, but I guess it is within your right to do so if you want. But that is a different kind of conversation, and we are not <laughs> going to start that here. Not today. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to kind of mention those three women because I think that those are three interesting cases. And in terms of just when you think about body and like these opinions and this ownership of, of black women's bodies. I think that they kind of um, explain that in different varying degrees. And for me, (sighs) there's a lot of issues that come out of that. There is basically this idea that black women might be deserving of rape. There is... Rape is just generally not really um, reported a lot just because people don't tend to take it seriously. I mean, it's most of the time men 
historically it's been men and like police and law enforcement offices and if we know anything about cops not all cops I know I know I get it (laughs) but we do know that there is a interesting history with police and violence not only just targeted at black people but targeted against their wives like that's something that happens and kind of gets thrown under the rug because you know it's a brother in the police department you know in the in their fraternity so rape itself even like when you think of like marital rape just becoming illegal not too long ago which is not taken very seriously and so when you have a group of women like black women that are being raped you've been pumping this idea that they're hypersexualized they're older than they are their bodies are like this they're undiscriminate with the people that they will fuck like they'll fuck anyone and everything it kind of opens the door for people to justify black women being raped or to just like not believe them you know it's like you can't yeah you might feel that way now but did you feel that way when it was happening did you lead them on that was another thing that happens quite often um white men if they ever went to court for rape uh they would basically say that this woman seduced me and then they would be the black woman would be you know punished at a at a harsher rate which it's surprising but it's not and that happens when you kind of talk that shit and try to justify you know or try to promote a stereotype and it opens the door for when fucking eugenics come in like we need to sterilize y'all and to the point where they were doing it without consent without people's knowledge and i mean The, like, the eugenic shit is just like, yo. When you can get to the point where you start sexualizing people to the extent that you question their human self-control. Right. When you look at, you know, the forced rape of slaves, but then treat it like there are these horny mistresses. Mm-hmm. And you can start to create those narratives. You start shifting your view of you know, these, these white men in, in society start shifting their view of black women as animals. And at that point that you start creating that difference between this black woman's different from this white woman, or as a white woman, this woman's different from me, it becomes so much easier to create, to create these mass atrocities. And so you start seeing slave rapes as normal. You start seeing, you know, black women being raped as, eh, not a big deal. Mm -hmm. You start taking, you know, black women who've had things happen against them and somehow make them the suspect in their own, you know, victim. Like they brought it upon themselves. There was the woman a few years ago, I cannot recall her name right now, who had fired warning shots at her husband or the, the person oh, she was dating at the I time. I think that. it was her husband, though. She'd fired warning shots, and she got sent to jail. Mm-hmm. And this was someone who was already abusing her. Mm-hmm. And so this sense that black women have no... It's not even benefit of the doubt. It's being taken seriously in their humaneness and deserving of humane treatment. Yeah, I mean, I know that one of my kind of like overarching philosophies, theories is everything is connected, but the more and more that we research this, like the stronger that theory, you know, I like stand on it more and more because you're right. Even like, like I said, like I mentioned the wet nursing episode, we kind of talk about this idea of like pain and medical professionals not believing women, not believing black women when they're saying like, I think there's something wrong with my body. I'm in pain. I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling that way. You're fine. This is normal. You're exaggerating. And it's like, I know that y'all get hypochondriacs. I know that you are coming from a medical perspective, but to completely dismiss someone and not even follow up, not even like look into it, not even, especially when they're pregnant, not even like just do the test so they can have peace of mind, is really telling on how you feel about someone that should that is supposed to be your patient. Yeah, and that that again goes into this like dehumanization, like oh well, 
you don't feel things the way that normal people feel. Mm-hmm. Like that. Like, think about that line. And, you know, this all comes from just this view of looking at, you know, Africans as if they're not the same in the white gaze and looking at, you know, the already the oppression that women already have had for nearly all of human history, mm-hmm. uh, at least recorded history. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, that is another manifestation of that. So you already have these women being black now. They're women as well. And, you know, that creates this full-on narrative when you go back to what Malcolm X said about black women being the most unprotected women in the world. Well, everyone exploits them. Everyone. To the point where we're, like, only defined by our body. I remember in college... Having a conversation with this white dude, like, I I mean, I like to, sorry guys, there's some wild thing happening <laughs> outside on the street. Um, you know, I really enjoy just, like, asking people an array of questions. I still do. It's, you know, the way that you learn more about people. We've done some foul things that way, too. <sighs> we have. We're not going to get into that tonight, Donald. We have. <laughs> And I mostly feel sorry, but if you came out stronger on the other end, you're welcome. <laughs> he knows what we're talking about. <laughs> You'll probably never listen to this podcast. Um, yeah, so I used to just ask people random questions. And I remember having a conversation with this black boy about just like, or not this black boy, about this, with, I was talking to a white boy and we were talking about like interracial dating. And... I remember him making this comment like, yeah, I would fuck a black girl. Like, she has to have an ass, though. Or, like, I would just fuck a white girl. And it's like, wait, what? I heard what he said, but huh? Like, so, like, that doesn't make any sense. He was like, well, I mean, I would fuck a black girl if she had an ass. But if she doesn't have an ass, then I can just fuck a white girl. Like, that that's why I would fuck a black girl. And he said it in his own, like, white man way, white 19-year-old way. And I was just like, oh, that's weird. Okay. Um, and kind of kept it pushing. I think that was the end of my conversation with that young man. But we get defined by our bodies to the point where we're like, we're not worth shit if we're not built the way that other people think that black women are supposed to be built. And again, when you look at the tears of this, first of all, it's how he's looking at women. Like, look, I'm just going to fuck certain types of women because... I just this is who I'm going to fuck. And mm-hmm. if this woman, regardless of her personality, who she is, she don't like this, we don't need it. And we don't need a deal. Oh, yeah. And then on the other end of looking at it as a black woman, like, first of all, you're womanizing in the first place. But now you're like, if you don't have the stereotypical ass that <laughs> if you don't have the stereotypical ass that I'm looking for, you don't exist to me. Yeah. And like, that's kind of stop and start, like not even really trying to talk to y'all if there's not an ass behind you you know like that's crazy and on the other end um you see white women that you know have some ass and I feel like I don't see it as much anymore but I remember definitely like during college and like right out like out of college 2015-2016 I used to always see memes or people's like tweets and and statuses on Facebook with these pictures of these white girls that have like hips and ass and it's like yo beware white beware black girls once they learn how to fry chicken it's over for y'all and it's like damn my nigga like that's how you feel yeah. like you think we're only here for ass and frying chicken for real I feel like that's our generation thing like I remember seeing that through high school seeing that through college like Yo, you like why can't you like white women without bashing black women? Like, why don't you just go like white women just because you like them, yeah. not because it's at the dispense of black women like your mother? Yeah, it's just kind of like what? Like, you can like things without talking about your dislike you of like, the things that are not that. Yeah, you can just like ass. And here goes some girls that maybe you've never really fucked with and they have ass that you like. Word. Go and do what you want to do. But why do like black women have to be the butt of the joke? Like, why in hyping that up or saying I'm attracted to that does do black women have to be bashed at the same time? Yeah, like why do they matter with who you like if that's not what you like? Yeah. 
like, okay. I, I feel like just, well, I don't know, it's Gen X or Gen Z. What are y'all niggas? It's Gen, it's Gen Z that's Gen younger Z. than us. Gen okay. X is the generation before us. Okay. We're technically Gen Y, but we got millennials because I think we were on the cusp. Because we were born like on, most, a lot of us were two, two 2000. Or we grew up we going grew up through during the new, that, the new yeah. millennia. Um, and like, I hope that, I don't know, but I don't think they dabble in that as much. Like, they're so much more socially conscious than probably most generations. Other than maybe those, like, the boomers, well, the boomers who fought for civil rights. I think that why you don't really see that before us is because it was still kind of dangerous for black men to just really be, like, mm. gallivanting in the streets with white women. Yeah. Like, and even still today, I feel still like... still gets looked at you st- sideways. You still, even if no one says anything to you, if you're, like, walking down the street people will turn their head and like, huh. And we see interracial, I mean, I'm in an interracial relationship. We've, we see in relationship, interracial relationships all the time. Um, I think that's a little different, though. My relationship? Yes. Yeah, shout out to you, Jose. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, I think it'd be a little different if it was white. Yeah. No, but I just mean, like, when you see, it's still something to turn your head when you see two people that aren't from the same like racial background mm, together. Yeah. And um, even tonight, like when we were out, there were three different couples that were out around us. Well, there was two outside. There were one inside. All of them were interracial couples. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like be with whoever you want to be. It doesn't even have to be about race. You don't even have to have like a racial preference. But you also don't have to like bash people to try to get your point and your like preference across it's really unnecessary and tacky mm-hmm. yeah i think i want to bring back i don't hear people say tacky that much and i actually love it all right nerd moment yes so i have a new coach that i hired and mm-hmm. one of our members have like his brain has tachycardia and it hurts she has a fast heart and so i was having using this as a teaching moment to teach Tachycardia versus bradycardia. Bradycardia is when your heart beats really slow, and tachycardia is when your heart beats very fast at rest. And so this is how I remember descendant from anatomy, and this is how I taught her. Think football, NFL, Tom Brady. You might not be into football, I don't know, but like other, some of our listeners might be into it. Tom Brady, all-star quarterback. Sure. Calm, the cool, football. football. He deflated guy. the football, yeah? Deflate, yeah, deflate gate. Deflate gate. <laughs> <laughs> Calm, cool, collective, heart rate low. Mm-hmm. Tacky, tachycardia, doing the most, upbeat, doing a lot, heartbeat really high. Oh, word. That's good. And that's I how actually, I remember that from freshman year on. I actually might retain that because <laughs> you said that that way. Cool. Um, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so to wrap this episode up, yeah, um, we want you to really understand how that hypersexual, hypersexualization of black women started so long ago and still affects us today when we look at the worth of them. For sure. And I think, you know, in Celia and Sarah and in Demetria's case, they all, even with people trying to police them, and obviously Celia and Sarah's case is a bit more intense in terms of, like, the ownership part, but they still... Um, maintained their own in a way that they were able to maintain autonomy they did Celia just fucking kills him like you know what (laughs) I just need you to stop and she says or the 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 record says she didn't hit him with the intent to kill him and I'm sure she didn't because she knew that would not farewell for her, but even like knocking him unconscious wouldn't either. But she was clearly at a point where she didn't, she wasn't even thinking about that. You know, like I'm tired of this shit. This nigga's been doing this for the last five years. I've had two of his kids. I am fucking tired, Mm -hmm. my guy. Like I'm done with this shit. And Sarah, even though she's toured around and to a degree people are able to touch her, she never lets them like, like sexually assault her or like touch her genitals or like do anything like that. She doesn't even ever really show them, which is one of the reasons why uh, the the molding of her genitalia is so, it's so much more invasive, you know, because they knew damn well that she would have never approved 
of that. But they did it anyway. They didn't care. And, and you know, with Demetria, she was like, okay, y'all are big mad, but I'm going to still show up every day to my job in the dresses that I want to wear. And y'all can watch or y'all cannot watch. I don't really give a fuck, but I'm still here. <laughs> get with it or get lost. So, good people, thank you for listening to this episode. And, again, if you don't defend black women, you can get with it or get lost. Nice. So, um, make sure you like, subscribe, and share our podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Another one of our episodes in our series about the white gaze and trying to understand how the white gaze has affected and, and molded our culture for the worst and being able to educate us all on how we can acknowledge it and grow past it. So like, subscribe, and share with a friend. Find us on social media at the Black Codes Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook. Definitely on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> we don't tweet yet. <laughs> um, also, if you have comments, leave a comment, DM us, or email us, theblackcodespodcast at gmail.com. If you have ideas on what we would talk about, if you have some interesting articles or aspects of history that you think we should cover, definitely send that to us. For sure. So, um, stay well, stay blessed, and we will see you next time for The Black Codes. Bye.